the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. Just a little bit of a change in our lineup uh, because uh, he has uh, other business later in the week. Our uh, regular uh, constitutional law and uh, foreign relations uh, attorney, Brett W. Johnson, our Robert H. Jackson fellow in legal studies here, is going to join us right now. Brett, welcome back to the show. Much appreciated you joining us today. Thank you, Seth, and for accommodating my schedule. You betcha. Brett Johnson of the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, to give him his appropriate kudos, SWLaw.com, or at least identification. Uh, you, you you, little sneaky, tricky so-and-so, Brett. Uh, you, you have written a bunch, a couple of columns here on the Russian-Ukraine conflict and uh, sanctions and how we should be thinking about them. And uh, I say you tricky so-and-so because I, I, I'm just delighted to see you doing this. This is so helpful. Talk to us a little bit about this. You've written a couple columns on what we should think about uh, with regard to sanctions, impact on trade, impact on business. Tell us what you're getting at here, brother. Yeah, and, and basically I think a lot of people have probably heard through the news and uh, um, about the, the different economic sanctions that the European Union and the United States have been placing on Russia and the occupied territories in the Ukraine. And unfortunately, you know, in war, we call it the fog of war. Uh, in this context, we call it the fog of bureaucracy because uh-huh. it's just so kind of convoluted and in the weeds what those sanctions actually mean to the average company trying to do business, not only in Russia or Ukraine, but actually globally, mm-hmm. because Russia is still, you know, it is a major country and it has a lot of investments all over the world. So what does that actually mean? And so we're trying to provide some clarity to companies and where we could, as well as put people um, on notice that, hey, listen, this is something that you might want to uh, take a look at for your supply chains. Not only that, but as you uh, were enlightening me a little bit offline in an, in an email with you, um, you know, sanctions can go two ways, right? Russia being oh, such a financial master, they can put sanctions here too. That's, that's absolutely right, as well as uh, freeze accounts. Um, and some of the actions we, we have for the last few days primarily been looking at this from a, a U.S. or a European Union context. Right. But R- Russia has been, you know, this is a chessboard. Yeah. And Russia is taking action, too, you know, on um, uh, raising its interest rate, forbidding um, foreign currencies to, to leave the country, and they have to be transferred into rubles. So that would increase the, the amount of what's called foreign monetary reserves that Russia has. And these are things that, quite honestly, countries and companies have had to deal with for a long time, primarily like China, Venezuela, people whose economies are are always kind of uh, murky, and so you have to get permission from the government. And Russia is doing those same things. And by the way, you know, when you you violate a contract and you chose Russian law to govern that contract, you're going to have to actually possibly engage even a Russian attorney Mm -hmm. to ensure what kind of liability you're going to face. Um, as a part of that, and that's kind of some of the issues we've been dealing with for the last five days. We're talking with Brett weekend. W. Johnson from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm. Brett, 
Um, I have not been a fan of sanctions for a bunch of reasons having to do with efficacy when we deal with uh, competitors or enemies. We don't have to get into that, but but we can if you want to. But but larger thought is one one thing that had not occurred to me until I was reading your columns on these things is that we while we think and I guess expect or hope that it will exert certain uh, punishments, cer- cer- certain, certain, cer- certain conditionings on our enemies or opponents turns out can have an awfully large impact on punishing ourselves too, or at least um, American corporations. Um, that's exactly right. And, and uh, another good example, even outside this context, was when President Trump uh, issued all of the different tariffs on Chinese goods. Right. You know, at the end of the day, it was the, it was the American consumer that had to pay for a lot of those tariffs. So there is there is this consequent. You know, you made product that's for delivery. It might just be a widget, have no really military value whatsoever. Right. And now you you don't even have the ability to get it to the customer who maybe have already paid for it. So there are those different different consequences, and unfortunately. You know, there's a lot of times people are quick to action and draft regulations. The bureaucracy drafts regulations that are really, really difficult for even large companies to fully understand the risks that are associated with them. Got it. Got it. Brett, one of the things that had some people scratching their heads early last week was a question Joe Biden, President Biden didn't seem to want to answer. Three reporters shouted it at him, and he just didn't. Your sense of it. With all the sanctions that have been announced, why not sanctioning Vladimir Putin personally? Well, from a government perspective, is I'm sure that they're trying to keep open that window for negotiation. Ah. But it, it eventually, eventually, that's going to be a card that's played, and that's part of the playbook. You see it in Venezuela. You saw it in Iran. You even see it on, on the oligarchs, and you started – it's, it's, it's usually the lower oligarchs first, and they'll get closer and closer and closer. And by that time, uh, Vladimir Putin and his family um, will, be, will be definitely impacted by this as this war continues. So it, it's, it's a leveraging point, and you're basically making it really personal at that time. And it is eminently true in what you said, too. I mean, at the point that we have to exert it, if we have to exert that, such a thing, uh, it's important to remember that you know governments aren't just entities; they are run by people, and we may have to take those direct, direct, uh, d- d- direct uh, attacks in whatever form they are against those people that are leading that government. Right? Yeah, absolutely, and that that goes into the mentality. Um, just like companies have to act through people, yeah. the company, yeah. um, they say a company cr- committed a criminal act. Well, it was really the people within that. Yeah, right. right. Company might right. be picking up the penalty, right? But it, it was it was the individual. So, and, and I think that that's going to be driving a lot of uh, the policy going forward and trying to hit back. And you've seen even in today's news some of the oligarchs standing up and saying, "Hey, we're we're kind of against this war." Uh, but you also see them in, in some of the correspondence you and I had. You also see them moving their super yachts out of Russia. I mean, yeah, I was going to get to travel. Yeah, say a word area. about that if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and that's and that's a common common aspect when a country goes to war um, is is that a lot of the uh, the oligarchs in this context is what they're they're named. These are the well off individuals who basically benefited from the Soviet Union being broken up and all of those nationalized companies going to privatize. That's how they made their money. They were in the Communist Party, then they bought these companies, pennies on the dollar, and now are billionaires. So from that context, they're now trying to, the, the evidence or at least the information from media is that they're trying to get their money, their property out 
of um, Russia to safe places because it can't be transferred to the United States, can't be transferred to the European Union. So there's a few safe havens still around the world that they're trying to get their assets to. I don't know if this has been contemplated, Brett. Someone must have contemplated it. I had a, a guest on earlier in the show or in the previous hour, kind of an expert on this, uh, on the international relations aspect of it. And uh, he was talking about how uh, there was a friend uh, or a relative and a friend uh, in Ukraine and, and, you know, they were doing their best to send them some finances to get some financing to, you know, to, to get what they needed to get out of the country. Do the sanction could the sanctions theoretically have a big impact on that effort, the goodness of Americans trying to send money? I mean, like we did with Afghanistan refugees and stuff like that. Could, could the sanctions affect that kind of thing, that kind of activity, activity, too? Negatively, absolutely. Yeah. It's kind of, it's it's the un, unintended consequences. Right. You're trying to right. send money. We ran into the same issue with the South Sudan or right. repatriation right. of money to right. other areas, right. and it's where the government basically interferes with it and takes the money, or it's not provided, or quite honestly, and the listeners should be aware of it. We all know about the Nigerian Prince scheme. Mm-hmm. Is those types of schemes where. You, you think it's a humanitarian oh, yeah. mission, yeah. and they're reaching out, and it really is not. So those are the consequences. The best bet in those scenarios is that there's a lot of still friendly countries that are around the Ukraine and trying to work through those countries for legitimate transactions to assist or to get family out. And we talk about that in some of our articles. One of the funniest lines in that TV show, The Office, was when they were criticizing Michael Scott for having fallen for that scheme, and he yelled at his employee. He said, when the son of the deposed king of Nigeria asks for help, you help. (laughs) I'll never forget that line. But it illustrates, obviously, I mean, it it hangs a lantern on what you're talking. Well, Brett, this was supremely helpful, as you are always supremely helpful. We appreciate you very much. Brett Johnson from the Snell and Wilmer Law Firm, SW Law. Dot com. I appreciate it, and um, thanks for reworking your schedule so that uh, you could join us today, and we'll um, we'll talk to you next week, sir. Perfect. Thank you all. Brett Johnson, you betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. I see some callers on hold. We will get right to you, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, brought to you live from the Guns Etc. Studios, 602-508-0960. Bob has been very patient holding in Phoenix. Hello, Bob. Hey, Seth. Uh, good talking with you, always. Thank you, uh, sir. Thank you for your patience. I don't know how much of I, I've been thinking about all of this stuff so much lately. Of course, everybody has, I suppose, but... Um, You know, Albert Schweitzer wrote a book called The History of Western Civilization. And I'm just wondering, what do you think? Is it just America's turn to uh, actually face this type of detriment and discourse and, and we fall? And we have to rebuild ourselves just like the Romans did and uh, other civilizations of, of such. Do you... Um... Do you think if we fall that we will be able to rebuild ourselves? Uh, personally, no, because we're the last, I think. I don't think we'd have any help unless 
of what we're seeing with Europe doing right now, maybe stepping up to the plate, they may, because they've been faced with worse than what we have for the last 20 or 30 years with the infiltration. Um, the thing that gets me is our uh, the world has always been tribal. We've always had borders and fences. Right. You got sheep herders and cattle ranchers put up fences. Ranches up you against know, ranches, it, yeah, where there wasn't yeah, even a government. Still, right, right, right. Yeah, it's still going on in Africa, mm-hmm. you know, of all places, mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and the Middle East. Um, if you put your I, finger, I Bob, on 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 uh, or try or you know did your best to put your finger on the cause of our fall, what would it be? Um, our academia. Yeah, the, yeah. I think we're on the same page. This, the, I'm kind of pushing you because I think the answer is in the question I'm asking. When I ask you if we fall, do you think we'll have what it takes, or do you think we can rebuild? I'm just kind of thinking out loud with you on this. You know, pretty tough well, question I mean, to consider. If we fall, it will be because. We have stopped believing in ourselves. It'll be because of the kinds of things Abraham Lincoln spoke of in his Lyceum Address as early as 1838. You know, he said, if destruction be our lot, we, Americans, will be its author and finisher. And the whole point is because we will stop uh, knowing what we used to be able to know. Up until that point, you know, revolutionary uh, soldiers and the ethos of the revolution was kind of a personally connected thing. You could still be alive in the 1830s and know people directly who were involved in the American Revolution or at least in the writing of the Constitution. Heck, Oliver Wendell Holmes Jr., who was on the Supreme Court after World War I, knew revolutionary soldiers. That's how close an era that was. But Lincoln presaged that that would fade, the direct uh, the direct uh, and and shall we say tactical, if you will, or tactile relationship to our founding would fade as age wore on, and the question would be: Would we would 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 we still have passion and reason about our founding, even though we no longer had the direct biographical or autobiographical connection to it? And I would say so, Bob. If we fall, and yeah, we're on that path faster by the day if we follow it will be because of that and thus if it is due to a cessation of an understanding of what made us in the first place and all the forces are aimed against us from the 1619 project to crt to everything the left basically stands for today it's a big heavy force when you consider who's on the left's side it's not just academia though it is academia it's not just academia it's also well news it's also it, it, entertainment it's also professional athletics it's probably well, half yeah, the those, defense department and military academies go ahead those things are always you know vast and inclusive but i think that now that what we're starting to see in some of the uh uh parent teacher meetings and the boards and that sort of thing I think that's what it takes is an actual threat. The problem is what most of them aren't taught is that the first to go are the press and academia. They only need one press outlet. Free speech. Yeah, uh, yeah. let's call that the press. It's all under the First Amendment anyway. Yes. But, I mean, see, even they they don't realize that their heads are the ones that are going to roll first. So is academia. It always has. You only need certain ones who are part of the party. 
And then, and then the war against the intellectuals the commences, right? Like uh, Pol Pot yeah, and, uh, theoretically ground up glasses so people couldn't read, thus think for yeah, themselves, yeah. right? In Cambodia, we, we, yeah, yeah. We we need to teach our kids back what I think I was taught. I mean, I'm seventy years old plus now. Um, you, you will have no incentive, just like what you were talking about earlier about that ASU uh, organization, right? Right, social, right, they, right. They, they don't realize and are not taught. They're only taught doing what is right. spoken in front of them. Okay, so you've put your finger on another major problem, which I want to address as well. But let's stick with the first one, and then I'll get to that second one that you just brought up. The first one, look, we are in our literature and our history is replete with warnings about what we're going through. Warnings. I, I mentioned the 1838 address by Abraham Lincoln. Worth going back and reading. Of, e- easily available online for those that aren't familiar with it. 1838 Lincoln Lyceum, L-Y-C-E-U-M, Lyceum Address. He addresses this. Right. He speaks to this beautifully. And uh, it's, in fact, amazing how, 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 how current it looks like it could be. But you get it from a lot of literature and history since then as well. Um, look, at, look, at, look at the authors um, from, from places in Europe, I guess Eastern Europe, if you want to use that phrase, that did lose their countries. You know, Czechoslovakia is a small country and it disappeared. It actually did disappear. Milan Kundera is one of their great authors. I quote him almost in every speech I give in a book he wrote on laughter and forgetting, where he says the first step in liquidating a people is to erase its memory, destroy its books, its culture, its history, then have somebody write new books, manufacture a new culture, invent a new history, and before long the nation will begin to forget what it is and what it was. We have been on a a racetrack – in the first pl- in the in the first example, destroy the books, the culture, the history, and of late, let's say in the last five to eight years, five to ten years, the new books have been coming, the new culture has been coming, the invented history has been coming. I give you the sixteen nineteen project, I give you critical race theory, I give you the uh, transgender stuff aimed at the kids, I give you all that. That's the invention of new stuff. That's the manufacture of new stuff. That's the writing of new books. That's the creation of a new history. And you wonder, have we begun to forgotten what this country is and what this culture is? You think we've begun to do so? I'll give you the most important stat you need to walk away with. And then I'll address the other point. The most important stat you need to walk away with. 50% of high school students have an F in American history. Think about that. Age 17 and 18. What do you do at 17 and 18? First job, college, first vote, any number of things. And half of them are sent into a, into a country they don't know or a country that they wouldn't have known 10 years ago, but they are creating a new by the year. Let me talk about that other aspect of it uh, when we come right back. 602-508-0960. I'm Seth. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, brought to you from the Guns Etc. Studios, live every day. 602-508-0960 is the number if you'd like to uh, weigh in on anything <clears throat> we've discussed or anything you'd like to discuss. A previous caller, Bob, raised a couple of interesting questions about are we watching a civilization hours in decline? And we analyzed that a bit, and then he... Um, 
brought up a second angle to the question, which is equally important. Maybe it's actually primary. It's of primary importance and something we're going to have to wrap our heads around and um, and deal with if we want to stave it off and save this place. So to paraphrase Ronald Reagan, we don't spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like to live in a place called the United States of America where men were free. And it's this. It has to do with, I don't know, there's any number of ways to characterize it. Bin Laden called it weak horse, strong horse. Uh, We can talk about it as a preemptive cultural surrender. We can talk about uh, putting a genie back in the bottle that has been smashed. But basically what, what, what what I'm trying to get at is our children, as I always try to get at it from that angle because the left is always using them and using them to a fairly well. We never used them. We just assumed that there was a natural process of, you know, raising civilized adults, which is to say continuing civilization. But it's this in a nutshell. You look at what the left offers a young person. It's a pretty strong thing. It's a pretty strong medicine that the left offers young children. Let's think about young boys for a moment, but it could be, you know, uh, mutatis mutandis. It could, it could, it could be a, a, as equally true of, of, of females as well, of young girls as well. When you have a movement, let us say, let's take the Arizona State University Socialist Club for a moment, and they say their mission is revolution, a revolutionary Marxist club dedicated to ending capitalism fighting for and fighting for socialism. That's something, you, you know, young kids are bred to join and fight and have a cause. Young kids have it in their DNA. They want to join and have a cause. That's why we put them in clubs and sports teams. That's why we hopefully send them to places like, you know, Boys and Girls Clubs or Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts, God forbid, you know, you know, God willing, in a better place and in a better time. But that's also where organizations like the Crips and Bloods or any gangs recruit or cartel gang, cartel-inspired gangs recruit as well because kids naturally want to join a cause or a fight. And when you say we are a uh, revolutionary Marxist club dedicated to ending capitalism and fighting for socialism – that's a strong thing to follow. That's a mission to follow. That's an ethos. You know, that's a that's a that's a very very enticing thing that someone can say, "Yeah, I want to be part of that. I want to join that fight. I want to climb that mountain." That sounds interesting. What do we have to combat that with? What is it we're offering young kids that is equally or even a modicum as strong and enticing as that? You know, in things big and small, I've tried to think through this and work on this. Uh, For example, just things big and small, small things that get to big things. Think of the picture of George Washington you have on your dollar bill. What kid would be inspired by that man who was first in war and first in peace and first in the hearts of his countrymen? That man who was known as the fiercest chieftain in the forest. You look at that and you say, no thanks. That famous, uh, the, the famous uh, uh, Gilbert picture of him. 
Why not use a picture of a younger George Washington, a fierce, manly, young George Washington? Why not? Why not? Why have we done this with our founders? Why? What's a picture of James Madison that comes to mind? Do you know how old he was? How old he was when he wrote the Constitution of the United States? It would shock you. Look it up over the break. These were young, virile, strong men talking about virile, strong ethics, the rights of man given to you from God that remove you from the ruler of a, the ruling uh, le- and the ruler ruling and leadership of a king or someone who just was born to lead you or rule over you by dint of their bloodline. This was strong stuff once. Lincoln called them pillars of oak. And we just don't have that anymore. And what's left? The 1619 Project's trying to take down. And their fruits, capsules, and their veggies, you get everything from broccoli and carrots to cabbage and kale, garlic, spinach, wheatgrass, yams, zucchini, shiitake, mushrooms, Soybeans, cayenne peppers, all reduced into these vegetarian capsules using their unique cold press process. It's the only whole food supplement that has nothing added to it. Nothing. No added sugars, no fillers, no. All it is, that's all it is, is fruits and vegetables. That's it. Take it once a day in a vegetarian capsule. Again, if you don't like swallowing them, you can open it up and sprinkle it on some food or put it in a drink. Some people chew them too, just, you know, as a as a snack or as something just to chew on. You can do it that way too. The method of delivery is irrelevant. They put them in vegetarian capsules for you that are easy to swallow though. I have taken it every day. I have taken it for years and I can't say enough about it, though I try. If you want to get on board with Balance of Nature, easy to do. Balanceofnature.com. That's balanceofnature.com. I recommend their fruits and veggies and I want you to use discount code Balance for the best of savings. Balanceofnature.com, fruits and veggies, discount code BALANCE. I'll just say this. You'll be glad you did. You'll be glad you did. Let me give you a little bit about uh, a little bit of Lincoln from that uh, speech, and then I'll go back to the calls here in a moment because I hate to paraphrase Abraham Lincoln when I can just access him and uh, get the real deal. He was talking about the study of our founders. This is 1838. Think of how early this is. He's only – He's not even 30 himself when he gives this speech. He's he's talking about the histories of America by 1838. They can be read no more forever. They were a fortress of strength. But what invading foe man, what invaded foe, what invading foe can never do, the silent artillery of time has done. It has leveled our walls. They are gone. They were a forest of giant oaks. But the all-resistless hurricane has swept over them and left only here and there a lonely trunk, despoiled of its verdure, shorn of its foliage, unshading and unshaded, to murmur in a few gentle breezes and to combat with its mutilated limbs a few more rudder storms than to sink and be no more. They were the pillars of the temple of liberty, and now that they have crumbled away, the temple must fall unless we, unless we, their descendants, supply their places with other pillars hewn from that solid quarry of sober reason. 
Passion has helped us, but can do so no more. It will in future be our enemy. Reason, cold, calculating, unimpassioned reason must furnish all the materials for our future support and defense. Let those materials be molded into general intelligence, sound morality, and in particular, a reverence for our Constitution and laws. Now, think about this, folks. Think about this. Who paid attention to him, the right or the left? I mean, I don't even think the left reads him anymore or read him in a long time, but who paid attention to that point, the right or the left? Did we conservatives or common sense Americans or people who just loved this country irrespective of political party, did we follow Lincoln's advice? Did we go back to the solid quarry of sober reason and try to rediscover and reteach that which was fading already and led us to a civil war where natural rights were forgotten by at least half the country or about half the country as it was constituted then? Did we do that? Or did the left take the nihilism and take the vacuum and increase it? Disappearing, vanishing what we had and then writing, as Milan Kundera said, new stories, new history, new culture. That became the new baseline and the new touchstone and the new benchmark. You can change 1776. You can do anything, folks. And they are doing anything. Play on something Dennis Prager says. Bill, help me out. You know his work a little better than I do. It's not that the nihilist will believe nothing. It's that he'll believe anything. Is that close enough? I'll just say it. If he didn't put it that way, I'll just put it that way. It's not that the nihilist will believe nothing. That should concern us. But the bigger concern is he'll believe anything. And so, too, will the relativist. The difference is the relativist will weaponize it. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Oh, hi, Seth. Um, you know, you were talking about this uh, socialist communist group in Arizona State, and I wanted to point out, and a lot of people probably don't know this, but ASU has uh, ROTC units for the Army, Navy, the Air Force. And I was thinking, you know, maybe the commanding officers of these units might be coming onto your show and talking about uh, the advantage is not to mention uh, the ROTC people get uh, tuition paid for and everything. And um, we always focus on the negative stuff, like all these commie kids uh, that are interested in socialism. And you never uh, you never hear the answer to, well, let's see, you want socialism, but where does the money come from for the distribution of wealth from uh, the poor people do you know why they don't have to ask that question at ASU? Because they just get it as a matter of course. Tens of millions of dollars yeah. of taxpayer money that they never have to think about. The only people yeah. who have to think but about I, it are the legislators writing our budget at the state level and the legislators yeah. uh, writing emergency um, emergency uh, budgets at the federal level. Yeah, but I think... I think and the only place that money comes from is your hard work. Well, yeah. But I, I think it's important to point out that uh, alternatives to socialism at ASU are the ROTC units, which allow scholarships 
and also may develop some character and uh, honesty in its graduates that you're obviously not going to see from the, you know, the socialist communist people. You're um, making a beautiful and, and point. It, Let me. Yeah, you're making a beautiful point, Rob. You're making a beautiful point, and. In context of what I was saying, yeah, there's the Crips and the Bloods, but there were once upon a time the Boy Scouts too. And ideally you would have what we call the forces uh, – the, the forces of uh, cohesion, the forces of cohesion outweighing the forces of nihilism. You would have the forces of decency outweighing the forces of evil. You would have the forces of composition outweighing the forces of decomposition. Of course you would. Whose force is stronger right now at the college campus? Is it even an even fight? Strong medicine for the preservation of this culture. You can get that in Lincoln's speech, too. You talk about how far removed this is. I mean, people are doing their best with some textbooks and some kids' books. Uh, didn't Bethany Mandel come on the show and talk about some stuff? She's doing children's books on people like John Wayne. Lincoln put it this way. It's all in the Lyceum Address. It's a good place to close the show. How shall we fortify against this? The answer is simple. Let every American, every lover of liberty, every well-wisher to his posterity, swear by the blood of the revolution. Never to violate in the least particular laws of the country and never to tolerate their violation by others, as the patriots of 76 did to the support of the Declaration of Independence, so to the support of the Constitution and laws. Let every American pledge his life, his property, and his sacred honor. Let every man remember that to violate it is to trample on the blood of his father and to tear the character of his own and his children's liberty up. Let reverence for it be breathed by every American mother to the lisping babe that prattles on her lap. Let it be taught in schools and seminaries and in colleges. Let it be written in primers, spelling books, and in almanacs. Let it be preached from the pulpit, proclaimed in legislative halls and enforced in courts of justice and in short, let it become the political religion of the nation and let the old and young, the rich and the poor, the gray and the grave of all sexes and tongues and colors and conditions sacrifice unceasingly upon its altars. That's how you make it strong medicine to follow. And when's the last time you heard anyone talk about our country, our founding and its founding morals and mores and ethos and principles like that? Maybe we ought to put that paragraph above every school door. That's you want to know why they're trying to take Lincoln off schools and statues? Because he's the antidote to their nihilism and relativism. That's why. If living a lie is the main pillar, Vaclav Havel said, if living a lie is the main pillar of a system, its greatest threat is the truth. Be that threat. Be that threat. God bless you all, and till tomorrow, class dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.